The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Uh, so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome once again. My name is Alan. How are you doing? Yeah, how are you? Okay, good. You know, in our, in our, in our culture, we have a number of ways of checking in with one another that way. A number of ways that we ask, how are you doing? Uh, what, how, what, how's it hanging? What's going on? Uh, you know, a number of different ways, and we never really expect much of a response. You know, maybe there's just a, maybe there's just a little kind of one-word response, but, but, uh, but we really kind of, we're all kind of on the move often when we say that. You know, we go by and, how's it going? And then we don't expect any response out of that. If, if you go up to somebody and you say, what's up? And they say, oh, man, glad you asked. My, my aunt, she fell. And she hurt her hip, and she's going to be in the hospital for a while, and we're not sure how to take care. She has a little dog, and we're not sure how to take all that. And the person's going, no, I said, what's up? Right? I mean, I wasn't interested in, in any of that stuff there. And so that's kind of so often the way that we, that we interact. Here's a better question. It's a question I want to uh, talk about here this morning. That if you have someone that you really want to know how they're doing, it's, it's uh, someone that you care about, it's your child, it's a friend, it's your spouse, a better question is to say, how's your heart? How's your heart? Because normally the questions that we ask one another to check in on how you're doing, they, they typically have to do with our circumstances. And our answers, if we do have an opportunity to answer, our answers have to do with our circumstances. Well, school's fine. Uh, my grades are fine. Uh, works, works good. Uh, my kids are good. Uh, finances are pretty good. I'm doing okay. Uh, my job is good, you know, et cetera. It has to do with our circumstances. But the condition of your heart has nothing to do with your circumstances. The condition of your heart is a separate issue than the circumstances going on, the, the way that life is going on around you. Here, our theme this year is something new. We're looking at the many ways throughout the story of God that God invites us into something new, that God opens up something new for us, invites us into that. And today, I want to take a look at this promise that God offers us, that he will give us a new heart. When I ask the question, how's your heart? And then I connect that with this idea of this promise from God, he will give you a new heart. Is that something you're interested in? Is that something that you remember being interested in? How's your heart this morning? As we head in that direction, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I'm thankful to be here in this place. I'm thankful to celebrate you, to celebrate music, to celebrate the many ways that we can think about you and we can feel about you. God, I thank you that there are many different ways that we can encounter you and experience you here today. So, Father, I pray in these next few moments, God, that you would help us to, to be uh, engaged, to be focused, to connect with your story, that you would... Um, you would reach into our hearts and, and access a place that, that, that is for you, access a place that is only for you, God. We surrender this moment for you. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the, the, the verse, the little story that I want to take a look at, 
where God promises to give us a new heart. It's found in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. It's about in the middle of the Old Testament, uh, um, actually in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of the whole Bible, you'll find the prophet uh, Ezekiel, um, prophecy from Ezekiel. Let me give you a little bit of background on the verse that we're going to be looking at here today. Just kind of a, a reminder background piece. That in the Old Testament, the story of the, of the Israelites, God established a new nation. And ultimately, after they were freed from Egypt, they moved into a new land. They moved into the promised land and God gave them a new king and a new temple and they were singing a new song and they were flourishing and they were doing quite well. Their hearts were in line with God. But then after a few generations, after the, the, the glory days of, Israel, of, uh, of ancient Israel, their hearts turned away from God. And around that time, uh, Israel was divided in between the north and the south. And the Assyrians came from the north and they took over the northern part of Israel. Then not long after that, I mean, just, just a few decades after that, the, the Babylonians came out and they took over the Assyrians. Then the Babylonians were bringing pressure down on the, the remainder of the Israelites. The Babylonians were coming from the north and it was kind of an international event because the Egyptians were coming up from the south, from Africa. So the Egyptians were coming up uh, and the Babylonians were coming down and caught in the middle, stuck in the middle were the, were the, the, the southern kingdom, were the remainder the remaining Israelites were in that area, caught in the middle. And who do they side with? Eventually, the Babylonians end up taking over. They defeat the Egyptians and have uh, rule over that area. And the Babylonians come in and they take control of Jerusalem. They take control of the southern part of Israel. This is where Ezekiel steps into the picture. And he has something to say to those who remained in Israel, after Babylon had come over, Babylonians had come over and, and uh, taken control of, the, of that area. This is where Ezekiel jumps in. And he does two things. He does the same two things that many of the other prophets do. He does the same two things that we do here in this place when we gather. Every week, every week that we gather here, there's a mixture of two different things, the same things that we see in, in, in these prophets, etc. Two things. It's a mixture of challenge and encouragement. That as we're walking through life and figuring out life, there has to be a balance of those two things. It always has to be a balance. If, if it's always about challenge, hell, fire, brimstone, do this, don't do that. If it's always a challenge, we're just defeated. I mean, we're just, we're just it's, we're, there's always something that needs to be fixed and worked on and improved, etc. If it's always challenge, challenge, challenge. If it's always encouragement, you're great, I'm great, we're all great everybody's great, then we just get limp and soft and we're not growing. And so this, this journey, as it was thousands of years ago, it has to be a balance of challenge and encouragement. Ezekiel comes out in his book, in his prophecy, and in the first 10 chapters, he offers a challenge to the remaining people in the southern part of Israel. He offers a challenge to them saying, if you don't turn your hearts to God, if you don't align yourselves with God, the Babylonians are going to come back, and they are going to completely wipe us out. They are going to, they are going to, they are going to strip this. They are going to completely tear down Jerusalem. And so you've got to change your hearts, change your ways. 
Jerusalem will fall, Ezekiel says. Over and over again in the first 10 chapters, Ezekiel, uh, Jerusalem will fall. Don't think that this mighty city is impenetrable. Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem will fall. And then in chapter 11 is where we find the promise from God and the, um, the, the beautiful words that God gives through Ezekiel. Chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, reads this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations, after you've been you know, separated and this whole exile story, and I will bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is the the beautiful promise from God that he is going to give us a new heart. In... uh, Chapter 36 of Ezekiel, he basically says this same message from God, and he says specifically, God says, I will give you a new heart. I've chosen chapter 11 because he uses a different word here in, in, in this part, in this version of telling this story, and he says, I will give you an undivided heart. I like that word. I will give you an undivided heart. What he's talking about is idolatry. He's talking about this idea of our hearts being divided between God and something else. Our hearts being divided between God and anything else. This notion of idolatry is a huge deal for God. It's a huge deal in the Old Testament. Most of us would embrace the Ten Commandments. Regardless of your faith background, wherever you are in your journey with God, most of us would embrace the Ten Commandments. It's a foundational part of Western civilization, of our entire judicial system. And the first two of the Ten Commandments are about idolatry. Don't have any God before me. Don't create an image of a God. The first two of the Ten Commandments are about idolatry. Now, we might look at the word idolatry and this this concept of creating an image and just kind of think, well, that's an ancient problem. That's that's not a current problem. That's not something that's that's relevant for you. you. You don't have a metal or a wooden object in your home on a shelf that you worship. So that's not an issue. That's not a problem. We might think that, um, that it's, it's an ancient issue as relevant as in the Old Testament saying that we can't eat swine, that you're not, you're not allowed to eat swine. So you might think, well, I don't have a wooden object in my home, and I like bacon cheeseburgers. So, so it's, just, it's a different area, era. It's a new covenant. And so that stuff uh, becomes irrelevant. The whole idolatry thing, that's, I'm going to move on to other issues. That was important in the Old Testament, but it's not, no longer important now. Most of us struggle with idolatry. We don't use that word. We don't have a, a physical object. But idolatry is anything where our hearts are divided, where, we, where something else takes time before God. Something else has, is a priority in our lives, is more important to us than God. Something else we trust our money with more than God. Something else that is, is more of a priority for us as we walk out our days than God. Anything, any person, anything, any object, any pursuit that's like that, that is an idol in our lives. And what it does is it, it divides us 
It, it, it leads us to having an, um, a, a divided heart. And God's, God comes in and he says, I want to give you an undivided heart. A heart that says, God, you are number one above all else. You are number one above all else. This is an important part of this, this deal, this promise from God that he will give us a new heart. And then he continues and he says, he says, um, there in verse 18, he says, they will return to it and remove all its vile in- images and detestable idols. That this whole plan is that the way we have a new heart is that we've got to get rid of the idols and make God number one above all else. And he continues, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So, so what is a heart of stone? Do you have a heart of stone? What, what is that? Is your, is your heart somewhat stonely? Stonish? Uh, a, a stone is an inorganic uh, substance. It's something that, that cannot grow anything. Okay, A stone is something that things cannot grow on. A heart of stone means that, that there's no growth happening in your life. You can go to church all you want. You can participate in groups and, and you can be there and you can learn things and your head can gather information and you can uh, uh, read scripture, etc., but if your heart is hard, if your heart is stone, then, then there won't be growth. None of that stuff is going to stick. You can throw as much seed as often as you want onto, onto a heart, but if it is a heart of stone, it's not going to grow anything. And it's a frustrating journey. If you feel like you're doing all the right things, you're religiously going through all the steps and you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this, yet you're still frustrated, you are still angry, you, are, you find yourself um, down, depressed, you're self-loathing, then maybe the issue is not about, about the seed that's being thrown. Maybe it's about what the seed is being thrown on. Maybe there is an issue with your heart. Maybe your heart is, 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 is a heart of stone. Maybe you need a new heart. Maybe this message and this promise from God here today is a, is a huge issue for you. If your, if your spiritual journey is frustrating, how's your heart? How's your heart? It's important to understand that this issue of, of, of your heart, it is not about salvation. It's not the same as salvation. It's not that, that it is a heart of stone. Then a person comes to embrace Jesus as Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. And then we have a heart of stone. It's not that. It's not that kind of a progression. It's possible to be a believer, to embrace Jesus as Lord, and to, and to have a heart of stone, and to have a heart that is, that is not growing, that is not receiving and accepting the things that God is offering, a heart that is divided, a heart that is wrestling with idols. It's also possible, I think, to be a pre-Christian, to be someone who's on the search, who's on the journey, who doesn't yet quite embrace Jesus as Lord, yet have a very tender heart towards other people. You may know some people like that. That it's possible to have a heart of flesh, a, a, um, a tender heart, before one even becomes a follower of Christ. So that the, the issue is not 
It's not just about uh, salvation. The issue also with regard to the heart, it's not just about our circumstances. As I said before, the condition of your heart has nothing to do with your circumstances. Look at the, at the Israelites that some time ago, sometime prior to this story in Ezekiel, they were thriving. The situation, the circumstances in Jerusalem were great. And, and their hearts, the hearts of the people of God were great. They were thriving. They were turned towards God. Then the circumstances didn't change that much. Uh, Israel, Jerusalem was still, was still doing quite well, yet the hearts of the people of God turned away from God. And so the circumstances, circumstances had not changed, yet their hearts had turned to stone. Then the Babylonians come in and, and wipe them out, uh, exile them, and, and they are in Babylon for a few generations, and eventually they start coming back to Jerusalem. They come back to a Jerusalem with a temple that is destroyed, with the walls that are knocked down. The circumstances are terrible, and yet we find near the end of our Old Testament this this remnant, this group that is following God and their hearts are in tune with God. In other words, the circumstances are terrible, but their hearts are doing great. This is not about, this is not about uh, uh, salvation, whether you're a believer or not. This is not about uh, your circumstances, whether things are going great in the world around you or things are not going great in the world around you. This is a, this is a separate question. How's your heart? Do you have a heart of stone or do you have a heart of flesh? How's your heart? So here, here's what a heart of flesh looks like. A heart of flesh is one that cares about other people. A heart of flesh is one that thinks about, is concerned about other people. That what, what our natural movement is, is, toward, is about me. I mean, our natural movement is... Uh, is about my preferences, it's about my security, it's about my happiness, my contentment. That's a natural journey, is, is, to take care, uh, is to take care of ourselves. And that journey, when it is all about us, that journey hardens our hearts. That, 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 that journey, if, if that is what the pursuit is, if that is what the pursuit is limited to, that is a journey that will harden our hearts. You know, it's, it's, we're drawn, we're dr when we see it in other people, we're drawn to the, to the, to the tenderheartedness. But what happens in our own, in our own self is, is we, we, we get, we, our hearts get hardened because we want to take care of ourselves, take care of ourselves, take care of ourselves. But we, when we see it in others, when we see that beautiful uh, uh, heart in others, it's very, it's very enticing. It's why we love heroism. And all the hero movies are so popular and, and, uh, and hero stories. We love that. We're very much drawn to that. That when heroes like Tony Stark, etc., etc., they're all self-focused. And when they come to the point of, of, of being willing to lay down their lives for the purposes of others, we watch that. And by the end of those movies, we're going, yes, yes. Some of us even get a little stirred up emotionally, and maybe there's even a tear that, that wells up in our eyes as we watch someone who is, who is willing to give up their lives for somebody else. Heroism, the reason that stirs something in us is that that is the desire of our heart, is to be like that. Just this week, I heard about a, a story of a young woman in Philadelphia named Kirsten Miles. She's 22 years old, 
And she's the nanny of a little girl who has a liver disease. And uh, she, I just saw it on, on TV this week, and she found out that she has a compatible uh, uh, liver to this little 16-month-old girl. It's not even hers. She's just the nanny in this family. And she says, yeah, I'll give part of my liver to save, save this girl's life. And the family and the whole country, anyone who's aware of the story is just going, awesome. What kind of 22-year-old young lady would do that for a family that's not even hers? And we watch that story and we go, that's awesome. Yes, there's something in that that goes, that's right. There's something beautiful in that. Why? Because our hearts are made in the image of God. Our hearts are, are made, they're fabricated. The way that our hearts are assembled, it's in the image of God. And it is that God who gave his life for you. And so we see those things, we experience those things. And, and when we're drawn to it, there's something beautiful in that. Here's a question that will help you determine if you have a heart of flesh. What group of people do you care most about? What group of people in the world are you actively loving? Because if, if, if we say, you know, do you care about other people? Most of us would say, yeah, I care about people. I love other people. But practically, we can't actively love every group of people in the world. We can't actively love and take care of and make a difference with everybody in the world. We just can't. I mean, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Nobody, nobody can do that. But everybody has the opportunity to identify one group of people. What group of people, what specific identifiable group of people are you actively loving? Do you truly care about? What group of people does your life reflect the fact that you, you actually care about that group of people? Is it kids? Is it kids with learning disabilities? Kids with physical disabilities? Is it, is it orphans? Is it, uh, is it babies in, who are looking for families and for whatever situation that might be? Is it, is it teenagers? Young, young, young people who are in those radically transforming years? who are addicted to some kind of substance? Do you, do you, do you actively love and are involved with, with a group like that? What about, what about young girls who are involved with sex trafficking around the world, around the United States, here in Phoenix? Is, is, there, is there a group like that that you, that, that touches your heart deeper than anything else? Is it, is it single moms? Is it, um, those who are in prison? Is it the families of those who are in prison? Is it the homeless here locally? Is it people of Rocky Point, people of, in Honduras, people in India? What group of people are you called to care about? If, if your thought is, as I've, thought of, as I've mentioned different groups and you've thought about different groups that have popped down in your head, if you're having a difficult time choosing the group that you care about because there are multiple groups that you are actively caring about and you're involved with and you're involved in ministries, you're fine. If you're having a hard time identifying one group because you're actively involved in loving more than one group, your heart is, is, is fleshly. Your heart is doing well. Your heart is tender. You care beyond yourself. However, if you're having a hard time thinking or identifying a group that you are specifically, 
actively involved with loving, helping, being, being, being a part of, then maybe your heart is inorganic. Maybe you need a new heart. Maybe you need this new heart that God is promising. Maybe this message through Ezekiel is a message for you today. So how, how do we do this? How do we make this transition from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh? What is our role in this? This is an ongoing question in terms of following God and pursuing God and figuring out what God's will is for life. What is, what is God's role in that journey and what is my role in that journey? In the pursuit of a new heart, in this desire for a new, undivided heart, how much of it is God's role? How much of it is my role? Do you understand the question? You kind of relate to that question? It's an ongoing discipleship question. How much of this is God? How much of this is me? And in order to address that, I, I want to take a, a different angle. I just Something popped up for me this week. I actually saw a quote. I learned something about uh, uh, something this week, and so I wanted to kind of draw a, a, a comparison. I want to uh, talk about that relationship between God's role and our role by looking at the game of poker. Uh, does anybody like poker? Does anybody play poker? Okay, okay. You're in church. Shame on you. No, just kidding. Uh, okay, so I like poker. I'm not very good at it, but I like it. I, I taught my kids how to play. Uh, it's my effort to try to win back as much allowance as I can uh, for my kids. And so uh, I, I, I enjoy it. So Texas Hold'em, anyone know how to play Texas Hold'em? Okay, I see more hands went up. You loosened up. You loosened, oh, okay, other people did it. Okay, I can admit that. All right, I, 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 want, I want to play one hand of poker with one of you who knows how to play Texas Hold'em. Maybe you would even call yourself, it's okay, if you call yourself you're a pretty good poker player, a decent poker player, okay? I promise I will not make fun of you. I promise I will not take your money. I promise I will not let you take my money, okay? That's not what's going to... I just want to do an illustration with one volunteer. As an, as an adult. It has to be an adult. I'm not going to play against an eight-year-old. All right, so, so one adult to play one game of poker that will not involve any money, any volunteer, any volunteer. Come on. All right, you have the shortest distance. Come on up here. Come on up here. What's your name? Pancho. What is it? Pancho. 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 Is that P-O-N? P-A-N. P-A-N-C-H-O. Okay, man. You're already beating me. Uh, so, okay, Pancho. Is that right? Pancho? Is that good? Okay. Yes, your, your hand, he's moving the chips around. I'm dead. Okay, so, so okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play Texas Hold'em, all right? And uh, 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 I'm going to uh, mix the cards up just a little bit. You can cut whatever you want. Do whatever you want to the deck. I just want you to know there's an un, it's an unmessed uh, with deck. Okay, I'm going to flip this over. Take this guy. Oh, see, I, I dropped one card. See, that's not, that's, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to you know, do that intentionally. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play one hand, all right? Texas Hold'em means he gets two cards, I get two cards. Then we put cards in the middle, five cards in the middle. Uh, I take the best five cards. He takes the best five cards to figure out who has the best poker hand. Okay, you get two cards, I get two cards, okay? Now, I'm going to look at my cards, and we get to bet based on these cards. Oh, based on these cards, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. I am, I am going for it. You know what? I think this one's yours. You need a little help. Okay, uh, I'm going all in with this. Now, now, 
I'm going all in, so I don't have any other options. I can't change. I can't make any changes at all. So you can show us your cards. You can show me. I want them to know what your cards are. And I want to know what your cards are too, because I can't change anything. He's got a jack of clubs and a seven of diamonds. Jack of clubs, seven of diamonds. Now, if I went all in and you had that, we don't know any other cards, are you going to match me? Are you going to go all in? You would absolutely fold, because you're a good poker player. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, let's just say you're feeling, you're feeling lucky, all right? You're feel, and and you're, what, you're feeling whatever. Let's just say you're going to go all in, okay? okay? Would you do that? Now, I'm, like, you're a good poker player, and I'm telling you what to do. I know that's not fair, but here, just go all in, all right? <laughs> now, let's see what our other card. Now, we can just run all five cards, right? We got a three, a jack, that's you, a five, a five, and a queen, Okay, so right now you have, a, you, have two, you have two pair, two jacks, two fives. I have a three and a ten. I got nothing. I got zero. I got a pair of fives. So you win. Oh, I got a pair of threes, but the jacks beat the, beat the threes. Okay, sorry. See, I didn't even know that. All right. Uh, yeah, those are both threes. Okay, now, I think you win, right? Like I don't, I'm not missing something, right? I'm not, I'm not giving you all my chips for no reason. All right, so you win. Congratulations, you are good at poker. You win. I mean, you win. Now, now, here's a question. Here's a question. How much of what we just did was luck versus skill? What we just did, just this one hand. I'm not talking about your ability to play poker. I'm talking about this hand. It was all luck, wasn't it? It was absolutely all luck. Okay, you can have a seat. Thank you so much. That's it. Thank you so much. Here. Here's a little something for you. All right. <laughs> Just good luck trying to cash that one in. So, uh, so there's, there's an ongoing issue with poker. You can look it up. You can, I, I think it's fascinating. How much of poker is luck? And how much of poker is skill? And some would say poker is all about luck. Poker, it says you're just dealing cards. You're just throwing cards down there. It's all luck. It just all depends on what cards you get. It can't be all about luck because there's such a thing as a professional poker player. There are pro poker players. They don't have professional coin tossers. You understand? I mean, that, that is all luck. It doesn't matter. It's all completely luck. There is a significant part of poker. I could tell he would demolish me if we actually went after it. I could just tell. There's, a, there's a, an, a part of poker that absolutely is skill. There's a quote from a professional poker player who says this. Who says with regard to... Here, here's, what, here's what I'm getting at. I know I'm taking a long time, but it's fun. Uh, uh, the balance between skill and luck in, in poker is that for one hand, it's 98% luck and 2% skill. That's what we witnessed right here. For one evening, it's 90% luck and 10% skill. For one month, it's 25% luck and 75% skill. In a year, it's 2% luck and it's 98% skill. You understand what I'm saying there? In the long run, the skill will surface and the luck will, will just kind of fade away. Here's how I think that relates to the condition of our heart, to the transition of our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. With one decision, one moment, it's 98% your effort. One decision, one moment, it's, it's this afternoon, it is, it is tonight, it is that one moment you're faced with a difficulty. What's the role of God? What's the role of you in making a good decision there? In one moment, 
you can muster up the strength and the ability through, through uh, encouraging statements and a note that you put somewhere. You can make it through one, one moment, one decision, 98% based on your own skill. One evening and an ongoing barrage of struggles, it might be 90, 90% your ability. You can get through an evening, whatever that might be, an addiction, whatever that might be. Whatever is, is tarnishing your heart, you can get through a situation. 90% your deal, 10% the role of God. Over a month, it's 25% your role. And it becomes 75% the role of God, the role of the Holy Spirit, giving you strength that you didn't have. Over a year, over a lifetime, over an extended period of time, your role in that just fades away because you don't have the ability to turn your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And it becomes all about God. That when one moment we might think, yeah, what, what does God really have to do with this moment? But in the long run, overall, God has everything to do with it. See, the promise here from Ezekiel 11, God says, I will give you a new heart. God is the one who changes your heart. God is the one who changes your heart. And you have to let him. God is the one who changes your heart. That's the 98%. And the 2% is we've got to let him. We've got to, we've got to let him. We've got to allow. We've got to surrender that to God. This whole journey of, of transforming a heart, of changing a heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, let me just tell you, that is the mission of the church. That, that's the reason that we exist. That's, that's, our, that's why this whole thing is happening. That's why we're building a new building. That's why we're uh, uh, developing staff and trying to make decisions and move forward. That's why we do this to all that. It's to transform hearts. It's to transform your heart. It is to transform the hearts of those that you care about. It's, it's this transformational piece. And, and that, that's why we gather. We gather here in this space to worship and to remind ourselves that we can't do this on our own. We worship the one who does make this change. We gather and we connect with and we remind ourselves of the power of the God who allows these changes to happen. When you show up for church once a month or once every six weeks or whatever, I think in many situations, I know your schedules are tricky and all that, it's not a judgment thing, but in many of our situations, when connecting with God becomes an optional part of our lives, you're giving yourself too much credit. You're, you're believing that you can do this on your own. You're believing that, that, that it's all about your own, your own ability and forgetting just the significance of God's role in changing your heart. You're giving yourself too much credit. We need God in order to make this heart transformation. We need God. We need to, to gather together to challenge and encourage one another in this process. We need opportunities to serve other people, to think about other people, to go, oh, I, I wouldn't have been involved with Rocky Point or I wouldn't have been involved with homeless people here in Phoenix if I wasn't a part of a body with other people who care about that group of people. And so we need opportunities to think outside of ourselves and be actively involved with loving other people. We need to do this together. That's, that's how God makes this happen. The church can't change your heart any more than you can change your own heart. We gather together and surrender to the God who changes our heart because he says, I will give you a new heart. I will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. God changes your heart, but you have to let him. God changes your heart, but you 
have to let them. We're, we're going to worship with one more song from Flavor. And as we move into that, I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads? Father, I want to pray for the, for the hearts of those who've gathered here in this room today and who may be listening to this at another time. Father, may we be deeply moved by this question of how's your heart? May we ask one another that question. May, may we embrace that question today. That it's not about, it's not about whether, whether, we, whether we're saved or not. It's not about what our circumstances are. God, how's our heart? Do we have a heart of stone that is no longer growing or do we have a heart of flesh that is tender to the things that you love? God, we, we, we want to trust you with that transformation. Come, you are a great God. We trust you with our hearts. Turn them into something undivided and focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.